With your permission tonight, I'm going to teach sitting down. We have biblical precedent. Luke 4, Jesus preached sitting down. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned from him, which tells us Gamaliel, in keeping with rabbinic tradition, sat down. If Charles Stanley can preach sitting down, so can I. Got that, Chuck? And tonight, actually, we're going to be looking at someone that um, always sat down because he couldn't walk. I heard Johnny Erickson Tata speak before 5,000 people. She was sitting down because she is not able to stand. One of the most powerful preachers I ever heard, and I'll never forget this. Has anybody ever heard or heard of David Miller? Sovereign Grace Baptist, I think from Alabama. And I was at a conference once, and they literally had to carry him from the wheelchair up to the pulpit. He was quadriplegic. And they literally stood him up, and he kind of froze, and then they leaned him up against the pulpit. And I'm thinking, that poor man. And he doesn't have enough strength to preach When he preached, it was powerful. Hear the word of God. And he was astounding, this man that could barely move even a finger, didn't need notes. He preached a powerful message. Never forget that. Tonight we look at another story in the life of David that illustrates the kindness of God. The story of David and Mephibosheth. Uh, Most of the Bible is historical narrative, not a theological discourse, except maybe the, uh, the Gospels and the Epistles. And yet we find many great truths taught in the Bible in these historical stories. And I say historical, they're not like just parables or, you know, Aesop's fables. So tonight we're looking at one of my favorite stories. It touches my heart and it tells us of one of the great truths in the Bible. God is kind. So let me tell the story and draw out some truths and then some applications for us. Uh, If Gary and Laura were here, they'd say, here we go again, because I've preached on this probably five times over the years uh, in this church. Here's the story. It's a true story. It's not once upon a time, which four words tell us that this is not a true story. This is. A little uh, less than 1000 BC, as we know, Saul, the first king, had died and he was a failure. And then God chose David. Saul chased David. David became good friends with Jonathan, Jonathan, Saul's son, who by tradition would have been the next king. But God uh, chose David and Jonathan went along with that. First Samuel 20, David and Jonathan, being best friends, make a covenant. In verse 8, David asked Jonathan to deal kindly with him, put in a good word for him with Saul. And uh, Jonathan said, yes, I'll intercede. And he senses David is going to be the next king. And then Jonathan, uh, in verse 14, gives an interesting request. He kind of figures, you'll be the king. Something's going to happen to me. And if I die in battle or assassination, take care of my family. You know, I've known where that happens, where a person says, take care of my family. Uh, when my father was dying, he says, said to me and my brother, take care of your mother because I won't be here. And so David agreed there in 1 Samuel 20, 16 and 17. They make a covenant along these terms. 
yes, I will take care of your, your family if you die before I do. Well, in the course of time, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle and also almost all of the family was slain. But one survived. And I introduce to you little Mephibosheth. Go back to chapter 4, verse 4. Mephibosheth. What a name to give to a little baby boy. Can you just picture him like this tall and someone says, Hello, young man, what's your name? My name is trying to learn it. What an unpronounceable name. Chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled and it happened as she made haste to flee that she that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. So she dropped him and somehow it broke his feet. It didn't heal properly. So the little boy, uh, not only is he an orphan, five years old, just enough to remember his father, but now he couldn't walk and, and there were hardly any doctors back then. And so um, my heart goes out to this uh, lad. And then years later, David sees him. But think of this. He, he wasn't able to run and play like other boys. If they were to play Jewish ball games, he'd have to sit on the side wishing that could be him. And I've known people like this. Uh, it tugs at your heart when you see them. Uh, whether his name is Tiny Tim in the Charles Dickens novel with the little crutch and others. I grew up next to a boy. His name was Conley Lunsford, and he had polio when he was born, and he lived his whole life in a wheelchair. And then there's Johnny Erickson Todd, and I've just told you about David Miller, and we've had people in our church, including me. Did you know that for 40 years I had to wear a big leg brace, first a metal one and then a plastic one? Now that's why I have to wear these special boots. Uh, to keep a balance with a bad foot. So it's not nearly as bad as, as Mephibosheth, but uh, having been there, done that, I spent time in a wheelchair, crutches, hospital. So I, my heart goes out to this little boy, Mephibosheth. He was orphaned and he was lame, and at age five, you know, he did not have a promising future. Then we go back to 2 Samuel 9, and uh, about 10 years have passed. Uh, so he's a young man, uh, a teenager, because you remember then they married much younger. It was very common to get married when you were just 13, 14, 15. And so um, another part in the Bible implies that he had already married and had a son of his own. Um, but he's still young enough and uh, weak. I've uh, always wondered, what about his wife? It loved him and would do things that he was not able to do. But he had been hiding in all this time in fear of his life because remember the rest of his family was killed in the tradition then in war that um, either the enemies or the next king would slay the family of the previous king. And that had happened to his brothers and sisters and so he had grown up in fear for his life. Uh, for example, Judges 9.5, Abimelech, and then Second Chronicles 22, Queen Athaliah destroyed all the family of the previous monarch. And we're told also that uh, Mephibosheth lived with an old man named Makir, M-A-K-I-R, a good old soul. 
And uh, he later would help David when David was on the run. And so he's a good example of kindness and, and hospitality. And then whatever happened to the inheritance that would come from Saul to Jonathan to Mephibosheth? Well, we're explicitly told Mephibosheth didn't get it. It was probably kept in waiting, kind of like an escrow at a bank. And, uh, and it was untouched and unclaimed. Uh, perhaps this man Zeba that we'll look at knew about it, but uh, it was kind of like held in a trust fund. And I'm sure whoever kept it figured, well, uh, what's going to happen because there's no heir that gets this, let alone the property. Now that's background. Here it says here, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He remembered the covenant and he had always been taught Well, the whole family was wiped out. And then God brought it to his mind. You ever have something come to your mind and it's God reminding you of something, maybe a promise from years before. And so God, David still said, I want to honor that oath to my best friend. Is there anyone left? Did they all get killed? Did anybody run away and hide? Um, you might wonder, well, why did David not do this earlier? Ten years had passed. Was he too busy? Did he forget? He probably just assumed nobody came forward. Uh, so um, I guess that's the end of it. And, but now he wonders, is there anybody left? By the way, if you may know that uh, after someone passes away, sometimes it does take a long time to probate a will, answer letters, lawyers get involved and so forth. So it was like that then. So 10 years or so have passed. So David calls in Ziba. What a name, Z-I-B-A. And he says, particularly, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 2, there was a servant, the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. Some would pronounce it Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba or Ziba? He said, yes, at your service. And then the king said, is there not someone in the house of Saul to whom I might show? Notice again, the kindness of God. And Ziba said, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And I'm sure David said, he is? I remember little Mephibosheth. So the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Somehow he knew about it. You wonder why hadn't he told David? Well, we don't know, so we don't have to guess. So the king sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel uh, from Lodabar. So David sent soldiers to bring Mephibosheth. Go and find him. Bring a wagon if he can't ride a horse. Um, but don't tell him why you're there. This is kind of intrigue. This would make a nice TV show or movie. Now picture the young man, Mephibosheth. Um, all these years trying to desperately do what, what little he was able to do. Uh, you know, you hear about people that are lame and they do things with their hand, maybe make baskets or pottery in uh, trying to feed his wife and little Mephibosheth Jr. And, but he's poor and handicapped, but he prayed. And now his prayers are being answered in a way he never could have expected. He probably long ago said, I'll never get the inheritance. I'll never get the land that would come to me. And he stopped wishing that David, kind of like Uncle David, my father's best friend, would help him. Why? 
And so then there he is at home doing whatever he could. And then a knock comes on the door. He'd be afraid. Been living in fear all these years for that knock on the door. Soldiers, uh uh-oh, it's up. He'd be terrified. Knocks on the door and he hears a voice, open up in the name of the king. These soldiers would have that authority and he'd probably say, oh, they've come for me. But look at this poor young man. He couldn't run. He just had to sit there. Oh, I'm helpless. So they come in. What are you going to do to me? Don't ask questions. Pick them up. Maybe they put them in the wagon and off they go. Verse 6, they now bring them to the palace. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face because they had dropped him on the ground. He probably just leaned over and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here's your servant. He's afraid for his life. He couldn't even crawl away. Where would he go? There'd be soldiers with swords and spears and he's in front of the king. And maybe he feared the king is going to have me executed. Calling for a sword and, you know, wipe out the rest of Jonathan's family. What a pitiful sight. David looks at him and says, Mephibosheth? Kind of a question. Is that that you, boy? No, he's really afraid. Oh, he knows my name. He called me here. And so he trembles and said, here's your servant. Now look at good King David, one of my favorites in the whole Bible. What what do you think went through his heart and mind when he saw little Mephibosheth? Uh, First off, he would remember when Mephibosheth, hard for me to say, Mephibosheth, got to say that slowly. When he remembered he was just a baby and crippled, he remembered all that. And then he would notice the family resemblance with Saul, his enemy. And then he would see the resemblance with his father, Jonathan. Have you ever known a man that looks just like his father? I've been told I look a little bit like my father, but um, my Uncle Bob looks a lot like my father. And so he'd see some resemblance there. He'd He'd probably say, Boy, you're the spitting image of Jonathan, my best friend. And that would have touched David, like he's come back in the form of his son. And then he saw poor little Mephibosheth's limp legs lying there and maybe a crutch. And um, he probably said, well, that's not the way I saw you. Because remember, he went into hiding and that's when the accident happened. And so David would have said, I can remember when you were just, yay, high, learning to run and to walk. And now, what happened? And I imagine someone said, well, he, you know, the nurse dropped him and he hadn't been able to walk all these years. So all this tugs on David's heart. And uh, he, his heart went out to Mephibosheth in love, pity, and compassion. And we're told he wanted to do one thing in particular, show kindness to that young lad. So verse 7, he says, do not fear. Because he was fearing tender words. And I'm sure he said it in such a way like, don't be afraid. You got nothing to worry about, boy. I'm the king. And I'm going to show you kindness. And so now he keeps the vow that he made. By the way, we should always keep whatever vows we made, however long ago they were, a baptismal vow, um, wedding vows, other ones. Keep your vows, the Bible says. And David Now does, and so 
Look what he does here. Verse 7. David says, do not fear. I will surely show you kindness. There is that great word again. For Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. More than Mephibosheth could have ever dreamed for. And so he says, you're going to get the land because it's yours by law. You remember the law of Moses. The land shall not be sold. It'll get passed on down. And then he gives them this great honor. You don't even have to cook or your wife. You're going to eat at my table. What a great privilege, the king's table. You'll have men and women asking, you know, do you like the food? Do you want extra helpings? And they'll run errands. You don't even have to cook or wash the dishes, boy. Uh, What a great honor. Too good to be believed. Look at what the young man says. It says, he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? That was a Hebrew metaphor for just a worthless person. First Samuel 24, 14, David himself said, I am just a dead dog. Second Samuel 16, 9, Abishai insults Zariah by calling him a dead dog. Sometimes we'll call someone today, you dirty dog, but... Back then, they didn't keep dogs as pets. It's like, you're just some mangy cur. So that was a Hebrew insult. So Mephibosheth says, I'm just a dead dog. I'm not worthy of all this. So David calls for Ziba and instructs him to give the land to Mephibosheth. And not only that, Ziba's family and servant were to work for this young lad and his family on the farm. And so it's as if he said, You don't have to worry about anything from now on. For the rest of your life, you've got the land. They'll take care of it, give you the proceeds. Uh, Boy, you're rich. And it's done by order of King David. And of course, the greatest blessing was that privilege of eating with David at his table and to be seen with the king as his buddy, his friend. It was as if David was, was, was adopting him. Your father is gone. He was my best friend. You can be part of my family. Come on in. And you'll eat at my family table. The adopted son of David's best friend. Can't you picture this? Use a little bit of imagination. Day by day, David would come in from the court and said, Ah, time to sit down and eat. And all the family would gather around and there would be Mephibosheth. And he'd probably lean over from time to time and say, How's that family? You know, how's your little son? And Mephibosheth, how are you doing? And Sure wish we could fix your legs. We'd probably give him a hug, you know, one of those manly hugs. And uh, David had much compassion for Mephibosheth. Well, whatever happened to him? His son Micah grew up and had a large family, so he became a grandfather. Uh, and that's recorded in First Chronicles 8, 34 to 40. There was one exception where when David was on the run, Mephibosheth temporarily had some second thoughts like, "Uh uh-oh, if they kill David, I'm gone, so let me kind of back away from David. But then they were later reconciled. So basically, Mephibosheth and his family lived happily ever after. What a story. I I like this story. Well, let's get some truths and lessons from it. First, this tells us about the kindness of God. That's the theme. You see it over and over again. I want to show the kindness of God. I've received it. I want to share it. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. He knew kindness. God had protected him when he was on the run from Saul and from uh, um, Absalom. 
So he wanted to display it, giving a, an example of it and being a uh, means of delivering kindness. You find David often singing about it in the Psalms, the kindness of God. And we read about it and we see concrete examples. Are you an example of the kindness of God? Are you known as a kind person? Uh, we should be. We, I know people that I'd say, he, she is a kind person. We had a woman at our church that I served back in Texas. And I, I, she was a kind person. And I said, I mean, you were always like this. I bet when you were a little girl, you'd bring in some stray mouse or a dog with a broken leg or a bird with a broken wing and bring it home and say, Mama, take care of it. And she looked at me with big eyes and said, how did you know that? And I said, you've always been a kind-hearted person. She'd bring people to church that were the outcasts and they had washed in several weeks. And she'd say, come on, come on to church with us. And uh, she was like David, showing the kindness of God. Years ago, I did a long series on the attributes of God, including the kindness of God, often overlooked. Uh, it's similar to grace for our guilt, mercy for our misery, compassion for those that are hurting. Kindness is that love of God that goes out to the helpless, like Mephibosheth. Nehemiah 9.17 says he is a God of great kindness. Psalm 31.29, his marvelous kindness. Isaiah 54.8, with everlasting loving kindness will I have compassion on you. Now you may wonder, well, what's the difference between kindness and loving kindness? Well, before we get into the Hebrew, uh, loving kindness is like an extra amount of kindness. You ever listen to J. Vernon McGee? He tells a story, maybe true, about a, a little girl that was asked in Sunday school, well, what's the difference between kindness and loving kindness? And she thought and said, well, um, when I'm sick in bed and feeling terrible, my mother comes and, and brings me some, my favorite food. That's kindness. But then she gives me a kiss on the forehead. That's loving kindness. I like that. And as McGee would say, my beloved, that's what God gives to us. Not just kindness, but a, uh, a kiss on our forehead. Now, this is what, the, remember last week, the heart of David, the real David. David knew kindness and he was a kind person. And I'm sure he would hug little Mephibosheth and smile. And God shows us his kindness. How? Through Jesus the kindest man that ever lived and would attract people that were hurting and helpless and he had healed them. He showed the loving kindness of God even more than David did. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is kind. Well, God is love and God is kind. Therefore, God is kind. Now, the Hebrew word here, get ready, write it down if you want to. One of the most precious of all Hebrew words, chesed. Now, you got to get that guttural chesed. That's H-E-S-E-D. Ask your Jewish friend, he'll tell you, chesed, that's grace, kindness, God's faithful love. He keeps his promise. And it's often said, you know, it's in the context of God's covenant for Israel. God's kindness forgives, and it's undeserved. It's somewhat the Old Testament parallel to grace in the New Testament. It's undeserved. Luke 6.35, Jesus said, 
God is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. So it's undeserved. It's amazing. We sing Amazing Grace. How about, maybe we ought to, uh, Karen, maybe we ought to sing Amazing Grace and put the word Hesed in. Can you imagine everybody singing Amazing Hesed? How sweet the sound. Well, it's amazing. Well, yeah. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold the kindness of the Lord. Now, this star is also a picture of how God saves sinners. This isn't just a narrative of which we can pull out the kindness of God. Remember, this is um, an object lesson. And it also tells us about salvation. For example, Mephibosheth was handicapped. He was crippled. He was lame. And we are like that spiritually. We can't walk in God's ways. Uh, How do I know? Go to the New Testament. When Jesus healed people, there was always object lessons. He healed the blind because we are spiritually blind. He He healed the deaf. We cannot hear God's word as long as we're unbelievers. He healed, uh, he raised the dead because we're spiritually dead. He healed lame, and that was illustrating that we are spiritually lame. So Mephibosheth is like a type of someone that's lost. Mephibosheth called himself dead dogs, a dead dog. We're worthless mongrels, spiritually dead. And in my book, I say we're frothing at the mouth with spiritual rabies, like a, like a worthless dog. Also, um, the term dead dog is comparable to another interesting Hebrew phrase. It's an insult, but for some people it fits. They're called sons of Belial. Belial is a Hebrew word for the devil. We're sons of Belial. We're no good. We're sons of the devil, born enemies of God. And yet, God shows us undeserved kindness like David did to Mephibosheth. That's grace. And it says, I I show you this kindness for the sake of Jonathan. God shows us chesed for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the covenant between the father and son back in eternity. Just like David made this oath, the father and the son made an oath. We looked briefly at that this morning. They wrote our name in the book of life. And this was sovereign kindness. It was undeserved. Mephibosheth didn't deserve it. He said, yeah, but, but by law, yes, but by tradition, they'd off with his head. But David went to something higher. Now, it also illustrates something concerning salvation. Mephibosheth was not able to go to the king, so they carried him. Who carries us to Jesus when we get saved? The Holy Spirit brings us to the Lord Jesus. He brings us and does for us what we're not able to do. And this is abundant kindness. And um, he restored all this for Mephibosheth and Christ. Now think about this. Christ not only restores to us what we lost when Adam sinned. We get more than what Adam sinned. We get get Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. So uh, we get more than what Adam lost. Second Adam brings back more than that. And so, you see, he didn't just give to Mephibosheth the land and the servants. He gave him something that he totally undeserved. The privilege of eating with David's table. And yes, this is a wonderful story. And then what happens with Mephibosheth comes? He's afraid, he's convicted. And so when we're first confronted with Jesus... We have conviction of sin, afraid we're going to die and go to hell where we deserve. Uh, 
But then like in this story here, conviction turns to conversion and, and joy and gratitude and humility. I'm just a dead dog. And love, I'm sure Mephibosheth responded with love for David. Kind of like as a young man, can I just give you a hug? And uh, I'm sure David wanted to. David said, fear or not, you find those words often on the lips of the Lord Jesus. Luke 12, 32, Revelation 1, 17. Fear or not, fear or not. Unbelievers should fear, but true believers should not fear. We've got nothing to fear. 1 Samuel 2, 8 says, God raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap uh, to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. And that illustrates it here. By the way, it says he lifts them from the ash heap. That's repeated in the New Testament. The great Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called Ash Heap Lives. Interesting book that we are on the ash heap, the dunghill of sin, and yet God takes us out of that. Mephibosheth was given servants. Someone tell me, who are our servants? Angels. And they're assigned to take care of us. And that Mephibosheth ate at David's table and we eat with Christ, such as at the Lord's table, salvation. Look at all the goods that are laid out for us on Christ's table. Salvation, justification, adoption. Now, Mephibosheth wasn't healed. Verse 13, he had to go the rest of his life healed. We're not always physically healed when we get saved. You know, you get the health and wealth Pentecostals that say, God always wants to heal you, and if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. No, that's cruel. Uh, my affliction happened before I was saved, and I've never been healed of that, nor Johnny Erickson Todd or David Miller. But we will one day. When? In the resurrection, when we get brand new bodies, we will be able to run and jump. And I remember... You all know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. Boy, you listen to her, you better have a bath towel to wipe away the tears, the story she tells. And one of them once, I think R.C. Sproul asked her, Johnny, what do you want to do when you get your new body up in heaven? And she says, I want to have a dance with Jesus. And Sproul said, well, why not? Okay, here are 10 very quick applications from this story. Number one, David honored his vow. Better late than never. Keep your vows. Number two, let's imitate this old man, Makir, who's only mentioned in passing, and yet he showed hospitality to Mephibosheth and also to David. We're told several times in the New Testament to show hospitality. Romans, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy all say that. Number three, let's be like Mephibosheth, humble and grateful. He didn't accuse David. Why did you wait all this time? No, he was very humble and very grateful. Number four, David showed grace to his enemy's grandson. His enemy was Saul and he could have held a grudge, but he didn't. He was willing to forgive that. He didn't go after vengeance. Let's do good to our enemies. Didn't Jesus say that in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? Um, be like your heavenly father, love your enemies, pray for those that use you. And that's part of kindness. Number five, David had received kindness, now he's showing it. We have received the kindness of the Lord, let's pass it on. Karen, wasn't there an old song years ago, pass it on? We ought to sing that some Sunday. Yeah, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, let's pass it on. Hands up, anybody remember that song? 
One, two, anybody else? Okay, I guess you're too young to remember. Some songs have a limited lifespan, but uh, pass it on. Let's pass on the kindness of God. David had received it and he passed it on. I imagine Mephibosheth would as well. Let's display it. Number six, for example, David looked for a way. Let's look for ways that we can show kindness to someone, like I read, bringing people to church and uh, people like that. Uh, let's show them kindness, like helping out the Washington Street Mission. Do you know anybody that is helpless, even physically, that you can you know, bring some home cooking to, a neighbor, an old man or a handicapped family or a family out of work? Think of ways to show kindness to someone. For example, number seven, David showed kindness to a handicapped person. So should we. Jesus said, uh, give not expecting to be repaid in return. That's grace, where we can give it to someone that not only doesn't deserve it, but is in no way able to repay us. What could Mephibosheth ever done in, in kind to David? He couldn't give him a farm. He couldn't give him a bunch of servants. And so that's the kindness of God being shown through David. Number eight, be kind. You know, I think they still have a be kind to animals day or week or month, but uh, we should be kind to animals. Jesus made a point about that. When the Pharisees were not kind to that poor man with the withered hand and Jesus healed it, he said to them, kind of in biting words, aren't you kind enough to take your donkey out of a ditch? This man is worth more than your donkey. We should be kind not only to animals, but to people. Remember, Jesus said you are worth much more than even the birds. Some people are cruel to animals, and so they need to be reported to the ASPCA, which stands up for animals. But on the other hand, some people show more kindness to animals than to people. That's not right. People are worth more. Let's be kind to people, especially in their helplessness and Maybe support charities that reach out, you know, American Cancer Society and other ones like that, that help people that are in physical need. Um, number nine, let's tell other people about the kindness that God has shown to us and invite them into the table like, he, like David did with Mephibosheth. Let's invite them to come and know Jesus, eat at his table and uh, if we have a reputation for kindness, we might say, I'm only kind because God has been kind to me. I was hurting and helpless, and he offers you his kindness as well. Lastly, number 10, like Mephibosheth, let's continue to feast at the table of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege to have communion, to eat at his table of salvation, and I've saved the best wine for last. One day we will feast with him at his table in heaven. And we won't be lame anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of King David and the young boy Mephibosheth. Help us to be kind as Jesus is to us. For it's in Jesus' name.